Hey there, Kubrick fans. If you like what you hear during this episode, be sure to visit our website at thekubrickseries.com for more episodes and uncut interviews from the series. And you can also consider making a one-time or recurring monthly donation in any amount of your choosing if you'd like to support our podcast. That's thekubrickseries.com. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Kubrick Series Uncut. In this episode, we speak with Professor Steve Mamber. Mr. Mamber teaches in the Cinema and Media Studies program of the Department of Film, Television, and Digital Media at UCLA Berkeley. His writings on Stanley Kubrick include an examination of A Clockwork Orange and Kubrick's use of spatial concepts throughout his films. Uh, so tell me about your first um, uh, exposure to, to Kubrick, it, it, your own personal exposure to his work. Uh, I guess the one that was the religious experience for me was Clockwork Orange, uh, which I saw, I guess I was a graduate student uh, when it came out. And uh, I just became obsessed with it. I saw it like six or seven times because it, it just seemed to have so much to it. And then I uh, just kind of followed him from then on. I wound up being a film professor and uh, wrote a few things about him and uh, occasionally every few years teach a class about him too. So uh, I've continued on with, uh, with, with the obsession. I should say too, I'm one of the rare people, I hope you find some others, who saw The Shining on the first day that it came out in one of the uh, early afternoon shows before they cut out the big scene at the uh, at the end you've of the movie because you've I seen that worried ending. about the length of the film. Yes, you've seen that ending. Yeah, I don't know if you've, if you've heard about that. Apparently, it was there for the first two shows, and for the third show, he had already uh, uh, telegraphed or phoned all of the theaters where it was playing with exact instructions of what was to be cut out. And any of the evening shows, it was already gone. So uh, I'm happy to say I saw it like the the first day, the first show, and uh, thought I was going to see what everybody else saw, but uh, wound up with an extra about three minutes. It's still not on any DVD and not and not any place else. You know, I just read something with Jan Harlan earlier today, and they asked him about those deleted scenes. And there's, I, I, I guess, there's a deleted pie fight scene in Doctor Strangelove. And he said that they are locked in his vault, and he he will never show them to anyone. Uh, I, I was uh-huh. surprised that they weren't that they weren't incinerated, uh, knowing Kubrick. But well, they do seem made to order for DVD, so it's really a shame yeah. that uh, that that's the current view. So that closing. But, but, any, but anyway, that my uh, interest in Kubrick goes back a good ways now, I guess, and I've probably written four or five articles, all told about. Uh, different uh, uh, different uh, ones of his films. So, yeah, I've, I've been a real fan. You mentioned the, the clo- that closing scene that they cut from The Shining. Uh, and I, I know the events that transpire in that closing hospital scene, but uh, did it... Oh, good. So you, you have heard about it. Then. Good. Yeah. Did it... Did it uh, what did it add to it? I mean, do you understand why he cut it? Uh well, I, I know he cut it for length, and I guess they they figured it was uh, an interruption because uh, what does go on in it I, in about thirty seconds I can de- I can describe it and why sure. that, why then I uh, why then I think it's uh, uh, important. It was a visit by uh, Ullman, the hotel manager, to uh, the hospital where uh, uh, the Shelley Duvall character was uh, 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 staying in a room, 
and uh, he comes in and does the same little number, uh, talking the, the the same way. Barry Nelson is just terrific in, in the film, and he he uh, he says to her something like, uh, you know, oh, what a shame that things went went bad. Uh, I don't I don't know what happened. Uh, you know, it just uh, still plays dumb uh, about it all. And uh, she's completely spaced out and not moving, and all she does is kind of stare out into space. You know, it's one of those great uh, Kubrick kind of looks of a, of, a, of a character's eyes, like practically going up into their head. But what made it really interesting is that uh, while he's talking to her, you hear this ball bouncing against the wall. And uh, after he uh, does his little speech to her, you cut to the hallway uh, in the hospital there outside the room, and there's little Danny throwing a ball against uh, the wall, just like uh, Jack kept doing. And uh, I think what's uh, clearly implied is that uh, uh, little Danny's going to someday get his turn, and he's going to wind up, you know, back uh, uh, back there again. So uh, it it is it uh, repeats the, the very important Kubrick uh, motif of uh, kind of ironic cyclical rebirth. You know, yes. it's uh, it's Danny's going to take his turn. So I think the ending, you know, as it is, is still pretty great because you return to to Jack, and it's kind of the the same thing by going into the to, into the photograph. But that was all there too. So what you wound up doing with the, the uh, extra scene there is uh, cutting from Danny's face back to Jack's face again, and it just made the link that much stronger between the two of them. So uh, mm. uh, I much preferred it with the extra. Thing, uh, thing in it, <laughs> and I thought it was a pretty important scene, and I, I I still keep expecting someday it'll it'll come back to its uh, rightful place. Oh, that's that's the brass ring right there. I, that that would be a just I would salivate over over the prospect of seeing that footage. But do you think that the ending, the fact that they cut out that one scene, do you think that the movie is more hopeful because of that? Because it doesn't make explicit that that Jack's violence, that his particular demons have been passed on to the son? Um, I guess it could be looked at as helpful that way, except that by going back to, you know, Jack's frozen head in the snow and back to the, back to the photograph, I don't think there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of opening for hope. You know, that's kind of the problem with Kubrick endings uh, generally is, uh, you know, you could say, well, is it hope at the end of Dr. Strangelove that uh, – uh, the song comes on that we'll, that we'll meet again. You know, and you could say, well, in a way that's hopeful, but at the same time, of course, you have to say, well, the whole world is just bl- blown up and been obliterated. So uh, where are you, really? So uh, uh, I can't see a lot of optimism, frankly, at the end of uh, of The Shining. If, if Danny survives, it's only to, uh, you know, live again another day, as Jack has done, presumably, uh, you know, year after year, Back at the Overlook Hotel again, so it's just uh, Jack's going to get his his turn too. So yeah. uh, uh, I, I don't think it makes the, the film any more commercial to have left it out, and uh, uh, you know it only made it five minutes shorter. So I think he was you know panicking as I guess he did when uh, uh, 2001 opened too and cut uh, a bunch a bunch of stuff out uh, uh, as, as well. Uh, thinking that somehow a slightly shorter Kubrick film is a more commercial Kubrick film. Uh, uh, I, I think it's just a, a shame that he felt that he had to uh, he had to do that. All, all of his films take some uh, understanding and getting used to, and reactions on the first day, or certainly uh, initial reactions from critics, 
should never have been the reason to uh, panic and cut anything. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, I am curious because you said that you were initially taken by Clockwork Orange and, and you, you, you enjoyed repeated viewings of the film. If, if you could tell me how the ideas and the concepts that he was expressing in that film, how those kind of crystallized for you the more you watched the movie. Well, I guess I was young enough when that came out that uh, I was affected by critics a, li a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it was another of those films, you know, like Bonnie and Clyde and other movies of the late 60s and early 70s, where um, violence was a hot-button issue, of course. And uh, the film was so uh, thoroughly attacked and attacked in you know many circles. I guess the uh, Pauline Kael review of it wasn't a surprise, uh, even then, but uh, still kind of shocked me that people would look at the film and uh, uh, take that argument that uh, somehow the film was, uh, uh, I think her line is something like it sucks up to the thug in the audience or the thugs mm -hmm. in the audience. And uh, uh, it seemed like such a kind of simplistic reading of, uh, of, of the film. And what's, real, what's really complicated in the film are... Uh, all of the relationships to violence that are expressed uh, uh, throughout the movie. And I just started to see that, well, uh, there seemed to be different sections of the film, and it mattered what was going on in the first part of the film as opposed to the section in prison, and then what happens to Alex when he, when he gets out, puts him in a, a different relation to violence. And it just seemed like it was actually a very thoughtful, intellectual kind of uh, exploration of violence. And then starting to realize that there were uh, fairly complex visual things that were going on as well and that camera movements were being repeated and that uh, uh, the way we would see Alex was uh, uh, then the way we would see the writer. It, it just started to, uh, to really fascinate me that there was so much going on in the, uh, the film. Uh, of course, that turns out to be the case with pretty much uh, any Kubrick film you would care to name, and that's what that is. As you, as you were saying, one of the fascinations uh, with his work is that uh, uh, you do you do uh, see a lot more when uh, when you when you uh, go back to repeated viewings of the film. But Clockwork uh, mm -hmm. Orange was the one that really uh, really got me with that. I think also uh, seeing that things like camera movements could be very important in a film were. Uh, were a real eye-opener, very literally, for, for me. I guess uh, saying eye-opener with Clockwork Orange is a kind of a, a ironic uh, adjective to you. <laughs> but uh, I think it, it's just one of those films that really shows you uh, the possibilities of, of great art. And I think one of the complex things about uh, Kubrick films that uh, does take a little bit of getting used to is that uh, uh, very often his films are in kind of... Uh, sensationalist popular genres you know he made mm -hmm. a horror film he made a a war, a war film uh, you know we can we can go through uh, the 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 genres but um of course his take on the genres were were not the the traditional uh, experiences and very often they were films that almost kind of uh, punished you if you liked them in their conventional ways you know if you go to the shining expecting it to be a conventional horror film uh, it really kind of rubs your nose in uh, the experience of a horror film and uh, doesn't give you that traditional pleasure. And I think that's mm -hmm. the same deal with uh, Clockwork Orange. If you are kind of uh, stupid enough to uh, identify with Alex during the first part of the film and get any kind of pleasure out of the violence that he's inflicting on people, then uh, the, the last two-thirds of the film 
which is uh, kind of most of the movie, I think, uh, really kind of punishes you for that. It really forces you to uh, kind of uh, undergo your own Ludovico technique and uh, experience violence in the same way that uh, Alex does. So I don't see how anybody can get uh, kind of traditional kicks out of uh, Clockwork Orange or, you know, frankly, most of the the Kubrick films. They're just uh, too complex and too full of uh, conflicting uh, uh, ideas to be able to just take them in that uh, simplistic kind of straightforward way that unfortunately very often they have have been taken for. Yes, yes. A couple of thoughts with with Clockwork Orange. Do do you think that he is, that he's making a statement – uh, to the effect of when you when you deny someone their free will, uh, they cease to be human. Do you think that's what he's saying with clockwork? Well, I, I, I think that idea of control and uh, how much free will somebody has uh, is certainly a, a kind of a, a Kubrick interest. I think probably uh, what you've just described is a, kind of a, more of a theme of the book. Kubrick doesn't really hold out much hope for free will and doesn't really, frankly, have much uh, uh, optimism for humanity. And I think, uh, you know, in film after film, uh, you get main characters who wind up, uh, especially main characters, but sometimes uh, plenty of other characters, uh, uh, too, who... um, Wind up, wind up looking very uh, sort of mechanical or robotic, or um, get get stuck in this kind of uh, situation of being uh, forced to be almost like uh, rats in a maze, or uh, or uh, forced to like uh, express their violent tendencies despite you know what, what might what might be their 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 better side. I I don't think there's a lot of optimism, frankly, in. In, in Clockwork Orange, or probably generally in uh, 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 ge- generally in, in Kubrick, and particularly when you have Alex kind of taken over by the by the writer, or um, forced to uh, go through uh, violent experiences again. That uh, at the very end of the film, when he says, uh, uh, "I was cured again, all right." Uh, of course, that's very ironic. You know, if he if he is cured, it's like uh, he's cured to go back and uh, commit violence uh, again. And uh, I guess, in a way, you could see that as optimistic. But uh, how optimistic is it really if all he's doing is he's back the way he was uh, uh, originally? Uh, no one really in Kubrick films, uh, I think we have to say, uh, improves or or learns lessons. The lessons that they learn, if they learn any, are that they're kind of uh, uh, stuck back where they started again, and uh, there there isn't uh, uh, much much further that they can go. It's a theme, you know, that's there like way early, like in uh, uh, the Killing, which is I think a great film also. As yeah. uh, I pretty much do uh, uh, all all Kubrick films, uh, you know, when Johnny the gangster at the end of that movie can't even get a taxi cab to to escape, and all he can kind of say is, uh, "What's the use?" and he knows he's going back to prison. Uh, probably he's going to go back to prison and plot a, a new heist and uh, come out in uh, however many years and not really have learned anything. So, uh, is it optimistic or is it not? I I think I think probably not. And uh, uh, I know we're going to talk about uh, 2001 in a bit, but uh, even there with the, the Star Child, I don't think you can see a lot of uh, hope for humanity in in the Star Child. Although uh, of all of its films, maybe that's the one because it's uh, 
so ambiguous that we want to we want to read because after all it's a uh, it's a baby it is a child we want to we want to hope that there's some uh, op- optimism in that but uh, I think the the cyclicality in Kubrick is so strong you know that we keep going back over the 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 same thing or a typical Kubrick film will kind of be the the same thing uh, several times and so uh, Clockwork Orange is really kind of uh, the same thing three times. Uh, that by the time you get that kind of a structure, rather than uh, you know your sort of typical Hollywood narrative structure where you do wind up with uh, uh, either a happy ending or characters have learned something or uh, things have gotten better, uh, it's, it's just uh, a, a hard structure to break out of in Kubrick. You know, you feel mm-hmm. like. Uh, you're you're back where you started again. Maybe things uh, are a little different, but uh, most likely uh, the movie ends because if it was to continue, all we would get is the same thing over again. You know, what what would be the point of Dr. Strangelove going on uh, after where we are? They already kind of say what what would happen when they come out of the mine shafts, and it it would be well, uh, you know, the same thing would start up uh, uh, all all over again. So, you know, how many times do we have to uh, see see the same thing over? I would say. So, I think Clockwork Orange is very much, uh, you know, of of that ilk as well. I think it's interesting to me that even in my discussions about Eyes Wide Shut, that some people find the ending of the film amongst his most optimistic while others think it's one of his most nihilistic and I've, I've never encountered in a film such uh, varied I- I- interpretations of, of, of whether or not something is uh, optimistic or not, or not it's usually very obvious well that's where I think you've got it right you know it's possible to to, to, to read it both ways or to, to think that there's a you know something potentially optimistic in it, but in a in a certain way, you know the ending again uh, of uh, Eyes Wide Shut. We don't we don't get the baby, but we get the invitation to go make the baby, basically. So we're kind of back in the back in the same spot. Uh, I, I think I think once again, you know, it's complicated in Eyes Wide Shut by uh, you know what what is a dream and what's not a dream and all of that all of that kind of stuff. So that that makes it a little bit more. Uh, more more complicated, but uh, yeah, that that is what those kind of cyclical structures uh, uh, invite. You want to think, well, if it if it happens again or uh, uh, it continues from there, uh, maybe the next time it's going to be uh, 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 be different. But um, uh, in a, in a way, I think you know, Eyes Wide Shut is just uh, the sort of inevitable uh, uh, ending to uh, the last Kubrick film. You know, it's kind of. Uh, uh, he ends where he starts, uh, in, in a way, or he or he ends with a, another film that presents that same that same kind of problem. Yeah, so, you know, I yeah. guess if, if if people are looking for an optimistic possibility in that, I mean, I guess you know you could find it in The Shining, you could find it in Clockwork Orange, you could find it in Eyes Wide Shut, or you could find it in Doctor Strangelove. I guess if you really want to. But uh, you also have to turn your back on a, on a lot of what you've just been watching in the hour and a half or two hours of whichever film you know you've just been uh, 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 you've just been uh, ex- experiencing. I just yeah. think he's he's probably not the best filmmaker to go to for um, optimistic endings. Quite quite frankly, one of your articles that I read deals with Kubrick's use of space. Uh, yeah, I guess that's the 2001 thing where I was yep. uh, 
I guess starting out somewhat ironically by by uh, talking about space because it's a movie about space, but then uh, I had in mind that there were other kind of space things going on in 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 the movie as well. So yeah, I think yeah. that's uh, that that's 2001. There where we're we're talking about. And, and, and he's 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 obviously a master of composition. So I, I wanted some. Uh, uh, could you expand upon because obviously he's he comes from the world of photography, so his compositions are very precise and very unique. Um, could you give me sure. your thoughts I, on how I, he I, uses space? Uh, sure, I think it is one of the really great things about uh, Kubrick that uh, he has such a distinctive visual style. It's, it's really the mark of a great artist, or it's really one of the things that's uh, so fascinating about him is that uh, you know it's a Kubrick movie, usually in about the first 30 seconds, because uh, most uh, li- likely you're in uh, a tracking shot that's uh, about that's uh, just begun that's going to continue for some number of of minutes and you know right away that you're in a in a in a Kubrick movie so mm-hmm. um Clock, Clockwork Orange is one of the great examples of that where you know you have the the shot that begins on uh, Alex's face and it just uh, it's moving back and back and back until you see uh, all of that uh, Corova milk bar. That fascination with camera movement or that aspect of, uh, of, of visual style is really distinctive in, uh, in, in, in Kubrick films. The kind of camera movement that's uh, so wonderful and so very much his is uh, the shot that has his uh, main character right in the center of the frame and the camera will follow them as they walk down uh, some very uh, symmetrical space, usually uh, some kind of uh, passageway that they feel uh, trapped in in some manner. So um, 2001 is full of shots like that. It's like every time some of the spacemen are uh, running or walking through the uh, you know amazing circular uh, space that's uh, mm-hmm. still... Uh, uh, you know, impossible to figure out quite how he did that, and uh, amazing in a pre-digital era that he was able to uh, uh, pull that pull that kind of thing off. But the shot of somebody like right in the middle of the frame, walking, you know, down this kind of hallway, it's it's a kind of imprisonment and it's a kind of in, in, entrapment. But it's also a, a, a sort of shot where you feel like uh, uh, the director has them under their control. Uh, yeah. uh, we're watching a film where somebody uh, is aware of uh, where everything is uh, uh, within the frame. In The Shining, of course, we get lots of that. You know, it's Danny going down the uh, hotel corridors. It's all of those shots of, of Jack as he's going crazy uh, do it, doing, the, doing the same thing. There's kind of not a Kubrick film where uh, you, you don't get that kind of stuff uh, in, in great uh, profusion. Uh, it seems to grow for Kubrick out of initially his love for for the great uh, filmmaker Max Ophuls, who was uh, mm-hmm. another ca- camera movement director. But camera movements in Ophuls are very different because uh, they're they're so free and they're so. Uh, in, in an Ophuls film, you feel like the camera just goes uh, uh, everywhere. In uh, in Kubrick, you feel like you're stuck in a maze or you're stuck, you know, in in these kind of entrapped sorts of spaces. So it's a very different kind of thing. But uh, I think that's. Uh, that that's where that's where uh, it begins. I think it fits very much somebody who has this uh, kind kind of world view of people not necessarily being free and being uh, sort of prisoners of technology, even if sometimes it's uh, you know very primitive technologies. Uh, but 
you know, whether whether it's, uh, you know, caught in uh, the bomber in uh, Strange Love or caught in the war room in Strange Love or uh, uh, in, the, in the Hotel Overlook or in uh, the spaceships of uh, 2001, wherever we're in trap, we're, we're in these kind of camera movements when we are. So they're, besides being uh, you know, beautiful in their own right, and I think uh, they don't need any more justification than uh, how beautiful they, they are, they also mm-hmm. uh, you know, fit very much thematically this, this, uh, the, the, this, this kind of idea. You know, it's that the world looks so regular in these shots, but the world is, already, is uh, always breaking down or collapsing while we're, while we're looking at them. He just uh, you know, really found a distinctive way to use... Uh, the cinematic medium and to uh you know be so uh, kind of beautifully expressive but at the at the same time be not just beautiful you know not be beautiful for for its own, for yeah, its own sake uh, his films were often criticized for being cold uh, mm-hmm. but i think that that kind of uh, that kind of beauty is uh you know far far from cold once you're uh, once, once you're sensitive to it or once you uh, once once you sort of feel it you you don't have to show uh happy, touchy-feely things in order to be uh, beautiful. And, and his films are about as cinematic or about as beautiful as uh, as they come, I, I would say. I, I think so, too. I think so, too. And speaking of beautiful, one of, one of his most beautifully photographed films is Barry Lyndon, without a doubt. Um, what, what do you think, because we were speaking about genre earlier, how do you think he expands the restrictions of the, the costume genre uh, in that film, well, I, I I truly deeply love Barry Lyndon, and I think yes. uh, the the more you become a fan of Kubrick, the more important Barry Lyndon uh, uh, becomes. Because uh, uh, it is amazing to see somebody who uh, you know so often is associated with modern themes or uh, modern technology, or uh, you know he uh, I think gets more associated with uh, 2001 and Clockwork Orange, and the point of uh, Barry Lyndon is that uh, you know humanity has always been this way; it hasn't changed, and we could see exactly the same kind of uh, kind of world there. So uh, you know now it's tracking shots in castles, and now it's a, a duel that gets played over and over again. But it's exactly the the the, the same kind of world. So uh, mm-hmm. when Barry when Barry Lyndon uh, ends with again ironic narration saying. Uh, we're all equal now, which means basically uh, uh, they're all dead now. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, absolutely the same kind of uh, uh, Kubrick world. So um, uh, it is, of course, so staggeringly beautiful, uh, that yeah. film. And, it, and, it's, and it's one that uh, cries out to be seen on the screen. And even though uh, now it, it, it's, it's a blessing that we can see Kubrick films on uh, DVDs and see them uh, uh, you know, more often than uh, uh, otherwise would be uh, possible. Um, obviously, you haven't seen 2001 until you see it uh, uh, in, in a theater, and uh, Barry, Barry Lyndon just uh, demands the full visual experience, which unfortunately is uh, very rarely uh, uh, available anymore to be seen uh, 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 you know, to be seen in a theater. But uh, uh, my God, some of the shots in uh, uh, in Barry Lyndon, you just want the uh, uh, you want you want them to last forever because they're yes. so beautiful. Yeah. But uh, but uh, the the great problem of Barry Lyndon, of course, is uh, uh, the world is so beautiful, but the world is so horrible. 
at the same, mm-hmm. at the same time mm-hmm. uh, 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 as well. So, of course, it's, uh, uh, you know, look at this art and look at these castles and look at these, uh, you know, incredible overhead shots of, uh, you know, the most beautiful ne- landscapes uh, imaginable, but, but all of the people are, are horrible. Uh, what, what I think is great about Mary Linden, uh, too, is uh, I actually think Ryan O'Neill is pretty terrific in it because he's used uh, in such a pictorial way. You know, he's not a very good actor, I think, in that case, although I've liked him in uh, other movies. And he's actually very good in Barry Lyndon in the sense that he's clearly doing exactly what Kubrick wants him to do, which is to become part of the visual landscape, I think, and not be very emotionally expressive. So it's great acting in its way, so it probably wasn't right for me to say he's not a good actor, but um, it's very flat style of acting, and I think it, it it fits Kubrick very well. So it it it, it puts the Barry Lyndon character in this great tradition, you know, that goes back to uh, you know Sterling Hayden and uh, his couple of, uh, of 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 Kubrick films, and goes up uh, all all the way through, you know, to Jack Nicholson and everybody else. These kind of uh, uh, madmen, thug uh, crazies who uh, you know have uh, like just enough kind of uh, Humanity to be maybe a little bit different from some of their uh, uh, contemporaries in uh, in the films that they're uh, that they're in, but uh, you know basically by the end of the films, you know as Perry Linden says, there's not there's not a lot of difference between uh, all of them by the time uh, by the time that it's over. You know what interests me is because you you talked about the last scene and the killing, and the last line, what's the use? And that seems to be. Uh, his kind of uh, his view on on humanity in a, lot, in a lot of these films is he essentially saying what's the use in a lot of these movies we're talking about? I I think uh, you know I'm afraid so. I that I think you're 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 basically right. Or um, uh, if there's optimism in it, uh, if you know if we're struggling to to find that, uh, uh, he he seems to. Uh, you know, want to confront the nature of humanity, uh, you know, in a very open and honest way. So it can be kind of liberating to see somebody, especially in a popular art form like movies, you know, being bold enough to be to to be willing to 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 do that. You know, not not mm-hmm. give the audience the uh, uh, the uh, the the endings they demand, and kind of uh, con- confront what seems to be true uh, about people. So. Uh, uh, you know, I think in a way, you know, The Shining or uh, Clockwork Orange too, it's kind of uh, you know liberating when you get those uh, uh, those sort of endings. So uh, the killing is great for uh, you know so early on expressing that that kind of uh, uh, that that kind of view. So uh, uh, you know, he seemed to uh, you know understand uh, his view of life and view of the world very early on, and found uh, you know a great deal of uh, interesting. Uh, Variation in a way in terms of the subject matter uh, of the films, but in another way, he's one of those great artists who kind of uh, did the same film over and over again yeah, in a certain yeah. sense. Uh, and uh, I think that's that's a, a great thing about him. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, b- before I let you go, I, I, I did want to ask about your thoughts on Lolita, um, because what what's interesting to me about his approach to Lolita and maybe it's in keeping with the the remainder of his films, is that there's such an ambiguity in so many of his films, um, and and audiences are audiences want want to feel the director 
pass some kind of moral judgment on his characters. And you don't get that with Kubrick. And I think it's telling in Lolita how he just tosses out any kind of backstory for Humbert altogether. So you're, there's yeah, no... Yeah, I, I, I think you're reading it exactly right. And I think it applies to Humbert and it also applies to the Lolita character who, uh, you know, in the hands of another director, and I think that the uh, Jonathan Lind uh, adaptation of the Lolita is also quite interesting, but also interesting for kind of what it reveals that uh, Kubrick sort of refused to do, which is, I think, exactly as you you described, which is to uh, give you the op- opportunity to feel uh, sympathetic uh, towards, towards, those, towards those characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think... Uh, some some other of the great things about uh, uh, Lolita is that uh, I think uh, Kubrick has been kind of uh, unappreciated as uh, a director of adaptation. That uh, a number of times he did take uh, well-known books, or if they weren't well-known well-known books, they were uh, smart choices of, uh, of, of of books to uh, adapt. And uh, I know Stephen King. Uh, is uh, very public about hating the adaptation of The Shining, but you only have to see the uh, the version that he, that he did to to see how obviously superior the uh, the, 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 <laughs> the, the Kubrick version is. So uh, uh, I I think uh, it's interesting to see that uh, Kubrick was uh, so attracted to Nabokov because I think there are uh, uh, similarities of uh, sensibility and. Uh, you know, if for nothing else, uh, Lolita lives because of uh, the wonderful Peter Sellers and uh, that he mm-hmm. got to do multiple roles in that film as well as the multiple roles in, uh, uh, in, in Dr. Strangelove, you know, helps to make those two films kind of uh, companion pieces to, to each other. And it's also a, a pretty bold kind of a Kubrick experience, uh, experiment to, to, to do that, which is kind of another way of, uh, of saying, you know, uh, one person's not so much different from another person or um, you know all of these roles are kind of the the same role or uh, yes. you know uh, there's not one that's uh, that's better than another it's uh, yeah, you know it's again this uh, we're all sort of equal now kind of thing by the time it's uh, uh, by the time it, it, it's over again he also manages to make uh, Lolita be cyclical too by adding that flashback structure and uh, starting the film kind of where it ends and returning to the to the portrait it's also a uh-huh. uh, a sort of eerie precursor to uh, Barry Lyndon as, as well, that, uh, that, that, that portrait, or um, to the photograph at the end of, uh, of, of The Shining. You know, ending on a portrait or ending on a photograph is another sort of way of, like, kind of freezing the image. It's, it's, so he does that in uh, Lolita, Lolita as well. So yeah. uh, 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 I, I know Lolita's not always everybody's favorite movie, but I, I think there's a lot of Kubrick uh, uh, in it. And a, and, and a lot to enjoy and appreciate in, 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 in that as well. And that's uh, uh, another reason why, if you, uh, you know, I, I, that I'm very glad you're doing this. Uh, look back at Kubrick, a tribute to Kubrick, because uh, what we can do now that used to be a lot more difficult uh, is see uh, pretty much all of his films. And so uh, uh, if, uh, you know, any of your audience uh, has missed any of these, you know, do go get the DVDs and do, do see them or do try to... Uh, Take advantage of any uh, local screenings if uh, the opportunities arise to, uh, to 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 go back and uh, and see them. I absolutely agree with you. And, and there are movies that I've returned to that I I, I wasn't necessarily uh, hot on when I first saw them in Kubrick's resume, and now I I adore them. I mean I I it's it's amazing. It's a complete 180. 
And I've heard that, you know, you see that with professional critics on Kubrick's films, and you never see that, see that with professional critics on anyone else's films. Um, no, he made uh, he made complex films that were difficult in the sense that uh, uh, sometimes you thought you knew what they meant, but there was always so much more there that they really do just demand uh, uh, you know subsequent viewings and reconsiderations and uh, thinking about in relation to uh, other other movies and all of that good stuff that great art uh, demands of us. Mm-hmm. 